You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Fears about North Korean instability can wait until it's determined that there's actually instability. An economic espionage campaign targeted the oil and gas sector. Much fishing surrounds government COVID-19 economic relief programs around the world. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear a case involving the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Ben Yellen on facial recognition software in a world of medical masks. Our guest is Gonda Lamberink from UL on making product security transparent and accessible to consumers. And if you're studying from home, don't cheat. And a teacher, maybe don't spy. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. Reports that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is in serious condition as he recovers from heart surgery have been circulating, NBC News reports but they report this cautiously and with reservations. If true, instability in the DPRK could be expected to be accompanied by cyber operations and perhaps a spike in cybercrime, as Military Times suggests, and that anyone betting on form would expect. But the news from the peninsula seems to be that Kim isn't in extremis, isn't at death's door, and is in fact working. Yonhap summarizes the evidence that things north of the 38th parallel are pretty much as they have been in recent months, as normal as they ever get in that neck of the woods. The bottom has fallen out of oil prices, with futures actually trading in negative ranges, and the register describes a spearfishing campaign apparently designed to install the information-stealing agent Tesla. The phishing emails impersonated NP, the Engineering for Petroleum and Process Industries, a well-known contractor in oil and gas production. Researchers at Bitdefender discovered and tracked the campaign, which actually antedates the conclusion of a meeting among OPEC and the Group of 20 that resulted in an agreement to cut oil production and stabilize prices. It's unknown who's behind the campaign of apparent economic espionage. The UK's National Cybersecurity Centre is urging people to report the COVID-19-related scam emails they've received, The agency has established an online reporting portal to make the process simpler and more convenient. The NCSC has, according to ZDNet, taken down more than 2,000 online scams related to the pandemic 
including 471 fake online shops selling fraudulent coronavirus-related items, 555 malware distribution sites, 200 phishing sites, and 832 advance fee frauds. Advance fee frauds, it's worth recalling, are a venerable email scam, long famous as the Nigerian Prince scam. The versions presently circulating promise a large payment in exchange for a small but non-negligible setup fee. The occasion of the offer is some bogus bit of nonsense about COVID-19, designed to render the mark willing to part with some cash in exchange for a big score down the road. It's not an investment scam where one might buy real estate in a non-existent country, a sure thing penny stock being pumped and dumped, the Brooklyn Bridge, or shares in a heroic statue. Rather, the advance fee scam presents itself as the first stage in a transaction with the victim. The scammers say they need to move money and are willing to pay a service fee for the victim's assistance. They may simply say that Grace has moved their hearts to generosity toward the victim. But, of course, even the operations of Grace require the recipient to establish some financial infrastructure. It's, of course, a bad deal, and worse theology. The current run of advanced fee scams play upon COVID-19 news. One might think no one would fall for them, but people do. The Australian Cybersecurity Center's regular threat update, COVID-19 Malicious Cyber Activity, outlines a set of problems similar to those seen in the UK and elsewhere. Since March 10th, ACSC has received roughly two reports a day of Australians losing money to coronavirus-themed online scams, and note that these are actual losses, not mere attempts. With their private sector partners, including Google and Microsoft, ACSC has disrupted more than 150 COVID-19-themed websites that had been engaged in malicious activity. UL has a history spanning over 125 years as a safety testing and analysis organization. They've recently set their sights on IoT devices, aiming at providing clarity for consumers with the UL verified mark. Gonda Lamberink is Senior Business Development Manager, Global Identity Management and Security, from UL. So UL is focusing on various IoT uh, verticals or ecosystems for cybersecurity purposes. And even though there's a few uh, security standards and evaluation options out there, there wasn't something that was a good fit for consumer IoT or also portions of commercial IoT yet. And the IoT security rating uh, is meant to fill a void uh, that existed for a baseline security assessment. And um, this is in line with also some of the regulatory developments uh, calling out connected devices and that they should have reasonable security features, uh, such as the California Senate Bill 327. Um, So the IoT security rating assesses products for their security features, incorporating industry best practices and then gives them a rating uh, where there's multiple levels that a product can obtain from levels bronze up till diamond. Ah, all right. Well, uh, take us through some of the specifics here. How do uh, how would companies go about uh, implementing it, getting evaluated, and so on? Uh, yeah, so we have uh, incorporated uh, best practices and requirements in line with leading uh, industry and policy guideline documents. Uh, we've also written, uh, for example, a blog post on how the IoT security rating requirements compare to requirements uh, covered in, for example, the NIST guideline, NIST-tier A259, or in the U.S., um, the C2 consensus, which is a 
industry consensus on baseline security uh, led by the Consumer Technology Association and the Council to Secure the Digital Economy and some other uh, leading guidelines. Um, so a starting point is, I think, to look at some of those documents and then um, look at the IoT security rating, understand the, the requirements that it covers. Uh, we've published those requirements in a document uh, called the UL Marketing Claims Validation 1376. Yeah, with a bit of an understanding of the requirements, start preparing for an assessment, which um, we cover uh, in two flavors, uh, a lighter weight assessment that can result in a bronze or silver rating, or a full assessment to a majority of the IoT security rating requirements, um, where the resulting rating is um, levels gold and, up and higher, so levels gold, platinum or diamond. And is there going to be an accompanying um, educational campaign to get the word out with consumers themselves? Yeah, so we see a good opportunity for collaboration uh, with industry there, with individual manufacturers that work with us on the IoT security rating. Uh, we invest in co-marketing effort together with them to get the word out. We also see a potential role for retailers here uh, if, if they can start promoting uh, this label in their retail environments. And then um, hopefully also more direct outreach to, to consumers, but probably as part of collaborative effort with, with our customers. That's Gonda Lamberink from UL. The UK's coronavirus job retention scheme is also being used as bait by criminals prospecting individual victims. Less than 24 hours after the program opened yesterday, Computer Weekly reports, bogus emails sporting Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs branding and claiming to be from HMRC Chief Executive Jim Harra, were already hitting inboxes. Demand for relief under the scheme is expected to be heavy, computing says, and that will lend urgency to the scams, as well as tend to reduce the victim's skepticism and resistance. Reuters reports that the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case that has the potential to limit the scope of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. The law prohibits accessing a computer without authorization or exceeding your authorized level of access. The appellant, a former police officer in the U.S. state of Georgia, claims he was authorized to access the information that he obtained. His motive was assisting an acquaintance of his who offered the police officer $6,000 to run a license plate to see if an exotic dancer was in fact really an undercover cop. He was asking for a friend, as it were, and that motive, he claims, is irrelevant. He was still authorized to run a plate. ZDNet reports that students and universities find themselves in conflict over university plans to install remote monitoring tools onto students' devices, the better to detect and deter academic dishonesty. The specific software package is Proctorio. Universities are concerned about cheating during exams administered online. Students resent the invasion of privacy, and some of them, not you, the student who's listening to this, of course, but other students, bad students, no doubt resist proctoring that would make it harder to cheat, copy, plagiarize, and so on. The university's concerns about cheating are reasonable, but so is students' irritation with this kind of dean of studentish hovering that no one likes. The center of the dispute, for now, is the Australian National University, but you can expect it to surface elsewhere. It's a classic apparent conflict of rights and duties. Discuss and class dismissed. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. 
your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat podcast. Ben, good to speak with you. Good to be with you, Dave. Uh, you know, I was out and about uh, taking a walk, getting outside recently, and uh, being the good citizen that I am, I was wearing a mask to cover my face to help protect myself and others. As the I CDC appreciates you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing, a side effect of this was that uh, from time to time, I would try to look at my phone and uh, my face ID on my iOS device would not let me in. It was not at all amused at the fact that I was wearing a mask. And, uh, that reminded me of this article that I saw come by. Uh, it's a long way to get there, but an uh, article in Ars Technica written by Kate Cox, uh, and it's about some shirts that can hide you from cameras and this notion that, uh, that we may uh, be able to hide ourselves from facial recognition software. What's going on here? So facial recognition uh, is generally very good at what it does. This article talks about that in China, for example, the facial recognition software they use there has been trained to identify people who are wearing medical masks. So perhaps that would have solved your issue of not being recognizable. <laughs> Maybe uh, there'll be an ID update yeah. <laughs> on your device. But unlike human beings, according to this article, you can trick the facial recognition software. If you sort of bombard the software with very confusing, incongruous uh, images that, you know, throw off the learning capability of uh, this artificial intelligence, then you can cloak yourself. Uh, in order to do so, you have to wear 
probably one of the silliest shirts I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I've and I've uh, seen you in person, Ben, and uh, you're not someone who's afraid of silly shirts. I, I'm so. not. No, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a fashionista, um, but I'd probably rather expose uh, my identity to all seven billion people in the world than wear this shirt. And I don't mean that literally. Um, but they do have a picture of it uh, on uh, in this in this article, and they call it a bright adversarial pattern. It looks like the craziest Christmas sweater you've ever worn. Okay, <laughs> um, I, th- I think the author jokes that you could probably see this from space, but it does <laughs> render the wearer of uh, this shirt or sweater invisible to the software looking at this person. So the question hmm. is, you know. Are people concerned enough about privacy and the age of facial recognition that they'd wear these sort of cloaks? Because now we know that that technology exists. Humans created the uh, facial recognition software and humans have figured out a way to provide a cloak to it. Are you drawing attention to yourself just by wearing something like this? Is that enough to, uh, to put yourself under suspicion? Absolutely. I mean, if I saw a person wearing this sweater out in public, I would stare at them for several minutes just to figure out (laughs) what in the world was going on. Um, So it's sort of a conundrum to make yourself invisible in the world of facial recognition. You need to wear this very colorful, silly shirt, but that makes you far more visible in the physical world and in public. And that's why I think, you know, even though the technology exists, we're not seeing people go out in public with shirts designed to confuse facial recognition systems or any type of similar software. From a policy point of view, could you be running afoul of any law or anything by doing this? Not the way I read it. There's no law preventing you from you know, providing yourself in an invisible cloak in uh, responding to any sort of facial recognition or similar software. Um, right. I mean, over on the Caveat podcast, you and I have talked about, we've gotten feedback from listeners that there are some places who have prohibitions against masks, for example. But this would not be that. This isn't that. And to somebody who knew nothing about facial recognition or, you know, any type of artificial intelligence, this would seem to just be a silly shirt. So unless Mm -hmm. law enforcement were explicitly trained to find these types of shirts, which once you create many of them, it would be hard for them to identify which ones are invisibility cloaks, then Mm -hmm. I don't even think there's a way of enforcing it. And then you have, you know, potential First Amendment issues of expression, you know, policing what people wear in public as a law enforcement matter um, could get you into some sticky areas. So I don't see a law or policy that would prohibit somebody from wearing one of these invisibility cloaks. Now, if it becomes enough of a problem that law enforcement isn't able to do its work because we get to a point where most shirts are manufactured to evade this type of technology, then that's where, you know, Congress could step in and, uh, or, you know, a state legislature could step in and make policy banning this type of shirt. But as we've talked about on this podcast and on the caveat podcast, the law and the policymaking is always behind the technology. And because the technology mm-hmm. is so new, I don't expect that that's something that we're going to come across in the legal world for a long time. Yeah. I almost wonder if something like this could be a, a, a sort of a badge of honor uh, of someone for people in the know to say, hey, I, look at me. I'm, you know, I'm sticking it to the man. Nobody's going to going to track me. And, and folks who are aware of it would be able to kind of 
you know, it'd be sort of be like a code word when you're out in public. You know, you could give a knowing you nod, nod to, to someone, each other. Yeah, you pass each other with your with your colorful shirts on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's sort of like being in the world's nerdiest gang. You know, it's like you, <laughs> you, you recognize the oddly blotted color scheme, and you're like, I right. I see right. what you're doing here, but right. right. you've they done your research. Each other. And, yeah, you've done your research into invisibility cloaks for. Uh, right. Artificial intelligence. You're one of those people. Um, but right. yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening. <laughs> All right. Well, it's interesting uh, research. Again, the stories in uh, Ars Technica. Uh, ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. 
SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 